Good morning, good afternoon, and wherever everybody may be, and welcome to another edition of Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. Joined, as always, with Cole Little. This is Dustin Reese. And Cole, how has your week been going so far? It's been going well. How about yours? Not too bad. I'm sick and tired of the cold. We had snow flurries yesterday. So yeah. I would just like, you know, winter in Wisconsin to officially be over and start enjoying some warm weather. And hopefully that's happening now. Yeah, yeah. It's always rough when you get the cold snaps you know, um, out of pocket like that, like late April. And all of a sudden it feels like winter. Of course, I can't relate to that too much, but just watching the Cubs games these past few days and seeing how cold it must be there, you know, it's it, I can, I can uh, empathize with people in that region. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, I think it was 39 degrees at the game last night, but it felt like 34 the night before that. I think it was like 36 and it felt like 31. Tonight yeah. it's supposed to be, I think 43 or 44, but it's supposed to feel like 43 or 44. So it's actually going to feel pretty warm tonight compared to the last two nights. But mm. these are the kind of games that make you not want to be a baseball fan in the Midwest this time of year anyways. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we'll start with the Cubs in this aspect. Um, they've gotten off to a good start against the New York Mets. They've taken first two games from the Mets, and they actually dodged a bullet today as – Jacob deGrom has asked for an extra days of rest, so they will not see him in this series. Otherwise, I think it could have been a very ugly matchup for Chicago in that final game tonight. The offense is starting to show some signs of life. They scored 34 runs their first 12 games of the year, and they have now scored 36 runs over their last four games, so they're starting to show signs of life offensively. But I think the most promising sign of the last few games is how they're scoring runs, and they're not as reliant on the home run ball as they have been in the past, take away Saturday's game, obviously, but the last three games, they really haven't used the long ball too much. And you look at the weather conditions that they've had to play in, especially during this New York Mets series. I've actually been pretty impressed with that of how they've been able to score their runs and how many runs they've been able to score given the conditions that they've had to play. in. Right. Yeah. It's been, you know, a solid two games. I mean, obviously it's just two games, but you know, it's, it's good for the Cubs to, you know, win a series, take at least two or three at home. Obviously they'll be looking for their first sweep tonight. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty impressive two games. I mean, on, on a side note, uh, the, Mets defense, specifically their infield defense, has been uh, about as poor as a big league team could play in two games, especially third baseman J.D. Davis. But last night's game, um, Wednesday night's game, that is the 16-4 romp. uh, romp, um, Mets infield for a couple innings acted like they – on the infield, acting like they had never played defense before, and the Cubs took advantage of it. Um, lots of small ball, taking advantage of those defensive mistakes, uh, good hitting with runners in scoring position, and then obviously Javi Baez's grand slam to essentially put things out of reach. So, yeah, that was a good win. Um, obviously, they had an outburst against um, the Braves where they came one home run shy of – um, 
tying a, a single game franchise record with six they had six bombs but um, this particular blowout against the Mets <clears throat> was just primarily small ball and uh, scrappy hitting and taking advantage of bad defense and um, and also the series opening win you know against the Mets three hits or three runs all all scored with two outs and, um, you know, taking advantage of uh, a two-out rally off of Taiwan Walker, who otherwise was having a pretty good start. And and then, yeah, and Kimbrell manning down in the uh, ninth inning and pulling out the save. So, yeah, two good wins, um, two different types of wins. But, yeah, I mean, after the – you know, Atlanta series, um, where outside of the home run outburst, it, it wasn't a whole lot um, going well for the Cubs in that series. You know, it's it's good for them to get two good wins like this. And we'll stick on that small ball topic for a second here. And I know both of us have discussed this for a while, and Baseball's not built around small ball anymore. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, you had teams that were willing to steal bases. Teams were willing to lay down a sacrifice bunt or give themselves up just to move a runner over. And that's not how baseball is anymore. As much as I want it to be that way, as much as I know some fans want it to be that way, it's home run, walk, and strikeout. Now it's the three true outcomes of baseball, and that's the way it's been for probably the last six or seven years. But given the way that this Chicago Cubs team is constructed and when you look top to bottom on the roster, you have guys like Jock Peterson who continues to struggle, Ian Happ, although he's taking walks and getting on base, he's not hitting the ball nearly as well as he hit the ball last year. Chris Bryant's doing well and Contreras is doing well, but for the most part, the rest of the Cubs lineup really hasn't hit their stride offensively. Would you like to see them kind of stick with this small ball approach that they've shown us the past couple of games kind of to get their confidence going in the right direction because these players are strong enough where they don't have to try to crush the ball every single time up there. The home runs are going to come naturally, even if you just play the small ball approach, but they do have hitters that can play this style of baseball and they do have guys on the bases like Chris Bryant and Javier Baez, especially that can make things happen on the bases where you can do a lot of hit and runs and just, play a lot of the small ball that some teams have gotten away from. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely love that. I mean, that's probably my number one wish for this team. You know, it's something that's been, I mean, like we talked about last, last episode, it's been something that's been a recurring problem for this team really since 2018 is just living and dying by the home run ball. And you know, prior to this, this Met series is something that pretty much defined the season for the Cubs. Um, but yeah, now we've seen two games where they haven't really had to rely on it. And, um, you know, obviously it's been in really cold weather, but I mean, it's two cold weather teams and, um, the Cubs able to defy the odds really in the cold on, on Wednesday by, um, pounding out 16 runs, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it by small ball. So yeah, they're, they're capable of it and they're going to have to do it. I think, um, you know, I, I mean, they're not going to be able to back 
back their way into the playoffs by just hitting a whole bunch of home runs this year. They're going to have to, I mean, especially considering they don't have the same dominant um, starting rotation that they're maybe used to having or have had in recent years. Um, so yeah, they're going to have to, they're going to have to rely on some small ball, some good old school national league uh, baseball and, and, you know, just have these innings where, they really take advantage of of um, pitchers struggling, put together two out rallies, come out with come up with some big hits. You know, one guy who's been a spark plug is a guy we both like uh, in Eric Sogard. He's gotten he's come up with some big plays both at the plate and on and on the base paths. These past few games, say that again. Uh, Matt Duffy too. I always I've always yeah, Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy and just kind of the way. He always brings you professional at-bats, and he goes and shows that last night. Yeah, the Cubs, Ross decides to give Hayward the night off, puts Brian in right, starts Duffy at third, and it pays off. Um, he, I think he was the only Cub with, with three hits. So, yeah, good a good night for him last night. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that's it's just going to have to be the way it is. They're going to have to find ways to win without hitting a bunch of home runs, you know, specifically solo home runs, which seems to, which seems to be their favorite <laughs> kind of home run. Um, they're just going to have to find ways to, to have big innings and, you know, success and put push runs across um, without relying on the home run ball. Cause when you go up against, go up against really good pitching, that's not, you know, it's obviously far less likely that you're going to, um, go deep. And another thing too is, um, I, I mean, two out hitting is important, but one thing that's really, really important is hitting with runners in scoring position. And obviously that's been the Cubs bugaboo the past couple seasons. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was arguably the thing that kind of ended up pushing Joe Madden out the door is, is in the 2019 season, how poor they were hitting with because we're hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, and, you know, coming in this Met series, they weren't doing a great job of it this year. But so far in this series, they've done a great job. So that's going to have to be something they they um, started to consistently do as well if they want to make the playoffs. A couple more things on the Cubs here before we move on. And I want to touch base on Javier Baez for a minute and – Obviously, everyone knows the strikeouts right now are at a record pace. He has one walk and like 31 strikeouts at this point. He's hitting a 203, but he does have five home runs, which is tied for the team lead. And he does have 16 RBIs, which is tied for fourth in Major League Baseball. So he may not be making the contact that people want, but when he does make contact, chances are he's going to deliver for you one way or another. But then you look at the rest of the shortstop free agent class. I'll take Francisco Lindor off the board, obviously, because he signed that extension. But you got guys like Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa. And we'll even throw Lindor in there because Lindor would have been a free agent. Javier Baez is putting up better numbers than the rest of the shortstops that are in his category. And I know you have that report that is out there saying that he turned down $180 million and at this point, unless he can kind of get that average back up there, I don't see him getting close to that $180 million again. But when you compare him to a lot of other shortstops in the game, 
he is still putting up better numbers than everybody besides Corey Seager, and that is telling something, especially when he does have the lack of contact that he's had this year. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're both big fans of Javi and know how important he is to the team, and, you know, that's that's been the case so far this year. Um, you know, his approach at the plate just isn't the best. I mean, we know this. He strikes out way too much for a shortstop, um, or even back when he was a second baseman, a middle infielder, what have you. You know, he strikes out like he's some big lumbering right fielder or, or something like that, and – you know, I just don't think people are used to seeing, a, you know, a spry, athletic middle infielder who just swings at garbage uh, like he does and whiffs at it. And he just strikes out too much. I mean, that's that's obviously the worst part of his game, and I'm sure he knows this. Um, I'm sure he's well aware of that. It's really the only – uh, legitimate weakness he has is, is swinging at missing at garbage. And, um, yeah, I mean, he struck out, you know, a good bit this season, but, um, he's had his fair share of games where he's made a big impact. And the thing with Javi is, you know, he's, he's going to have a short, uh, memory when it comes to that kind of thing. He's not going to let it bother him going forward. He's not really going to get in some type of, psychological funk at the plate. I mean, he struck out four times, had a golden sombrero in the um, in game one against the Mets and then turns around and hits a grand slam the next night. So, um, you know, he that's just it's, – it's a game-by-game game thing with him. It's an at-bat-by-at-bat thing with him. And, uh, yeah, he still strikes out too much. Um, but, you know, he's he's been solid – statistically speaking, like you said, he's been, other than that, he's been solid offensively and, you know, he's still one of the best, he's still one of the best shortstops in baseball, um, all around offensively and defensively. And, you know, it's, he's so important to that team. I mean, I think the team kind of goes as he goes. I mean, you can make the case that Rizzo's like the ultimate leader, the ultimate glue guy, but, um, and you could even make the case that Bryant's possibly the most talented player they have. But, you know, I think the team really goes as hobby goes. And, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be key to this season is him being consistent at the plate and just avoiding having these games where – I mean, I said he doesn't get in a funk, but one thing he will is he may get on a – in a fun on a game by game basis, it just won't linger. So we'll have these games where he strikes out four times and just can't seem to hit anything. Um, and that's not good. So hopefully you can avoid games like that as the season goes along. And um, yeah, he's just so important to the success of this team. I know I've, I've talked about this with you in the past with Javier Baez too. And, we saw it again last night when the Mets brought in a position player to pitch where he bats left-handed. And I don't know how many fans actually know this, but Javier Baez is actually a natural left-hander who taught himself to hit right-handed in middle school and high school. And if you ever, ever watch him take batting practice, he still does bat left-handed in batting practice. And a lot of times his swing looks more natural from the left side than it does from the right side. Given how much he does struggle on that slider and pretty much anything low and away that you throw him, 
I'm almost at the point now where maybe he should try to switch hit at this point because if you're going to throw him sliders low and away, that slider all of a sudden is going to be down and in, and typically that is where a left-handed hitter likes a baseball. And who knows? He does have a good swing from the left-handed side of the plate, and if he realizes that maybe he's a better hitter from the left side than the right side, maybe that's something that he could stick with long-term because I think he could turn into a switch hitter just given that he bats left-handed a lot more than people realize. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting case because, like you said, I mean, he's left-handed and everything. Obviously, if you want to be um, a middle infielder or play on the left side of the infield or second base, for that matter, in baseball, you you know, you pretty much got to be right-handed throwing the ball. So, Javi just became right-handed in everything he does, uh, baseball-related throwing and um and and hitting obviously and you know but yeah he's a natural natural born lefty and um and yeah I mean he likes to take those uh bats from the left side of the plate when he gets to go up against a position player and he got underneath the pitch last night but just didn't quite get enough of it and it was a routine fly ball to left field but you know he's shown he's capable of getting some good hacks in from the left side of the plate. And, um, yeah, it's interesting, though, because you can't really say he's like a true switch hitter like Ian Happ just because he doesn't, you know, something he just kind of does in a fluky fashion when it's a blowout. And, yeah, there's like a, you know, a position player throwing 70 on the mound. So, but you have to wonder if that is something he could factor into his game is um, batting from the left side of the plate. I mean, it's, you know, he's obviously capable of doing it. So, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see if he would consider becoming a, a switch hitter because you're, you're right. I mean, the stuff that breaks to the outside, this ends up low and away. That's when he looks the most foolish when he swings and misses and misses at that garbage. So um, that's obviously something that, Going up against a right-handed pitcher, um, he would would that problem would be solved, I guess, by him batting left-handed. And the one pl- uh, one person that continues to struggle is Zach Davies. And when the Cubs made the trade to acquire Zach Davies for you, Darvish, and the prospects, I know it was a salary dump in terms of everything, but they wanted to get at least a starting quality pitcher back in return, which Davies was coming up a great year in his own right, which is kind of why the Cubs pulled the trigger to get him. He had a great first start in Chicago, and then he kind of lost it in that sixth inning, which is why he only won five and two-thirds. But his last three outings haven't been great at all. And I mean, last night his outing was better, but he still only went – four innings because his pitch count has been in the 80s after four innings and that's not what you want out of a starting pitcher because basically every five days you know you're going to have to get extended work out of your bullpen and is it too soon to worry about Davies at this point or are you starting to get the impression that last year was more so of a fluke year for Zach Davies given what he did and this might be the Zach Davies that the Cubs get this year and if that's the case that you Darvish trade is looking worse and worse by the minute. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's reasonable to be concerned. Um, you know, I think it's reasonable to be concerned about really the starting rotation as a whole. I mean, especially considering that Kyle Hendricks hasn't been great 
to start the year. And obviously he's looked at as the ace of that rotation. Um, you know, Ariette has been solid, uh, but you know, for the most part, um, this, this rotation certainly hasn't been, you know, the great rotation that it's been in, in recent years. I mean, it seems like they've, finally got a pretty good bullpen um, in a season in which they're going to need it, I guess. So that's a good way to look at it, I, I guess. But, yeah, Davies has, um, you know, hasn't been great, especially, you know, these past few, spar- few starts. And, and um, yeah, I think it's – I think it's something to be cautious about. I mean, I, you know, I just, he may not be the kind of pitcher who's going to go deep into his starts this year. Um, maybe that's something we should just, Cubs fans should just go ahead and plan for is he's not going to be a guy who has these like deep starts that go to the, you know, sixth or seventh inning on a regular basis. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is something to be concerned about. Uh, for sure, you know, because he hasn't been great. But, you know, for now, obviously, he'll remain in the rotation and just try to develop a rhythm. Um, but, yeah, I just think that that's something that is just going to have to be a reality of this year is the is the starting quality of starting pitchers the Cubs have is, is obviously not as good as it's been. And, you know, that's just going to be – um, something that's just factored in for the rest of the season and going to be something that's working against them as they pursue uh, winning the NL Central. And well, you have the Cubs who are trying to get back to 500 A. You have the Chicago White Sox who got off to a slow start in their own right, but they're starting to play a little bit better. They've gotten back to 500. They had their game postponed against the Indians yesterday, and they now start a – Nine-game homestand where they get three with the Texas Rangers, they get three with the Indians, and three with (laughs) – remember who else they get three with? uh, Texas. They get three with Texas, three with the Indians, and three with the Tigers over this nine-game stretch. Uh, They're doing – the wins that they're putting together right now, they're doing it in typical White Sox fashion where they're just going up and out-slugging you, which is primarily how they made a living last year and primarily why they got off to the – start in the season that they had last year because they lived by the home run ball and when you look at how that lineup is constructed it shouldn't surprise anyone but the one thing that's surprising this year is the starting rotation for the White Sox last year was decent but it wasn't great but they had a great two-headed monster at the front of their rotation in Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel and now you fast forward to this year the White Sox rotation is actually better this year than it was last year but it's Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel that are off to the slow starts this year. And you got guys like Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon who have looked extremely great in their first couple of starts, especially Carlos Rodon. When you look at him coming off the injuries he's had to deal with the last couple of years and literally having only one or two teams look at him this off season. And the Chicago Cubs were one of the teams that was interested in getting him, but they felt that his shoulder may have not been where they expected it to be, or they felt that his injury history was a kind of a snag in the signing process, and he went back to the White Sox. But now he's looking as good as ever, and you know Keiko's going to turn it around. You know Giolito's going to turn it around. If I'm a White Sox fan, i got to like where this team is right now because you're starting to see the team that 
was on the field last year. And you know that you're going to be able to count on Dallas Keiko and Giolito, who may be struggling right now, but when they start getting things together, the White Sox got a pretty solid one through four in that rotation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, also congratulations to Rodon for his no-hitter. Um, obviously, that took place since we were last on air. Uh, just, and, you know, nearly had a perfect game, hit a batter on the with a toe ball um to lose to break up the perfect game in the ninth inning but able to get the no hitter and yeah he's he's fully seemed to re, fully rejuvenate himself this year after it looked like maybe his career was um sort of dead in the water in a way um but yeah he's he's fully bounced back and has looked great so far this season and that's that's key and yeah, I mean, you know, building off what I just said about the Cubs and their starting rotation, will the White Sox have a much more auspicious situation with their starting rotation, especially with how Rodon has been pitching, um, better than expected, that is. And obviously the aces you mentioned who, you know, we can expect to be great at any given time now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they seem to be – you know, figuring it out and piecing together some wins and developing some consistency. I mean, it's still so early in the season. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's really hard to even judge a team based on what happens in April. Um, but, you know, the White Sox have been able to put together some wins and, and you know, and, and – some games their pitching looks great. Other games they've struggled. But, you know, I still think they're the team to beat in the AL Central. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what they're capable of doing in these upcoming series. I mean, they should be able to pick up some wins, needless to say, at home against the Rangers and the Tigers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure as the season progresses now that we're getting – now that we're approaching May, they're going to look to be – um, settling in is is the team to beat in their division. And speaking of struggling, you have the Chicago Bulls who have really gone in the opposite direction than what I think anyone expected them to when they went and acquired Nikola Vucevic at the trade deadline. They were sitting at 18 and 21 when they made that trade, and they've gone three and 13 since acquiring Vucevic and these other pieces. And to make matters worse. The loss to Cleveland last night, which when you only score 12 points in the first quarter, you're kind of putting yourself behind the eight ball before things even get going. But they fell from the 10th and final playoff spot last night to 12th place in the East, as you have the Washington Wizards, who have all of a sudden won six games in a row, have crawled into the 10 spot. Toronto is starting to get healthy and is starting to play better, so they've crawled into the 11th spot. And you have the Chicago Bulls, who are still missing Zach Levine for another week or so as he's out on – COVID protocol, so that's not going to make matters easier. Uh, they have Charlotte coming up and then a double dip with Miami, so that's three games against three against two playoff teams, which we know how much Chicago struggles against playoff teams. But the only silver lining that I can take away from the struggles, even if Chicago ends up missing the playoffs, is they are actually, in my opinion, looking a little bit better since Zach Levine has – been out of this lineup than he's been in the lineup and I'm not saying they're a better team without Levine it just seems like they're more balanced and 
it's not constantly feeding Zach Levine the ball when you need a bucket or feeding him the ball whenever you need him to make a play. Other players are getting involved, which is good. And with Kobe White now getting back into the starting lineup, you're starting to see him score again when, as opposed to when he went to the bench where his scoring completely went away. So that's a nice element back in Chicago's game. And you have to look at the season series too, where Chicago took the season series from both Washington and Toronto, where at this point, if Chicago ends up with the same record as Washington and Toronto, they will still make the playoffs just because they have that season series tiebreaker over both of them. So Chicago is still in a great position, even though they're on the outside looking in right now. They just got to make sure they either stay tied with those two teams or finish ahead of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, it has been discouraging to see how they've gotten seemingly gotten worse since the trade deadline, which obviously is, you know, paradoxical in a way. I mean, it doesn't make sense that this team that had overperformed all of a sudden gets, you know, Vucevic, I mean, one of the most underrated big men in in the NBA. And and next thing you know, they're playing their worst. They're in the midst of their worst stretch of the season. And, yeah, I guess since we were last on air last Wednesday, they've gone, um, what, two and three. Um, you know, they were able to win at the Celtics when Boston was going without some key players who were uh, dealing with some non-COVID-related uh, illnesses. Um, so that was a good win. I mean, obviously not taking on a Boston team at full strength. That's still a good win. And um, they've also split their last two games against Cleveland were able to win the one at home. But, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to, you know, get back on a winning track. Um you know, we talked about on the last episode winning games that they should win. And, you know, they had uh, – and right after that, I mean, they had the Magic at home and sort of the Vucevic revenge game. And then they had the Grizzlies at home, both of those winnable games. They lost both of them, um, which is obviously not ideal. But, yeah, they're just going to have to string together some wins and try to get into that, that tournament. I mean, it seems like it's pretty – Fair to say that if they do get to the postseason, it'll be in that play-in tournament um, and and be fighting to get either the seven or eight seed uh, in that. And, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they got some tough games coming up against some playoff-caliber teams. Um, but, you know, maybe they'll be able to pull out some wins. I mean, they've – They've been an odd team for the past month or so. Um, so they've, they've kind of defied logic in a lot of ways. So maybe they'll – who knows, maybe they'll be able to have better success down the stretch in, in tough games. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough sledding. Um, and we're officially in the home stretch now, less than a month ago. And they're just going to have to – the Bulls are just going to have to find wins where they can get them. And the thing that people don't realize last night is you got to give Cleveland some credit as they held Vucevic to a season low of nine points. It's also the first time in 58 games that he's been held under under 10 points, which means every single game this season and going back to last season, that final two games of last season, he was a double-digit scorer in every single one of those games. So holding him to nine points, I mean, you got to give Cleveland credit 
and, and from that side of things, but he didn't play much in the fourth quarter either just because the game was already out of hand. So you got to figure that had he seen action in the fourth quarter, he would have kept that streak going. But that just shows you the type of player Vucevic is. And I, if you were to ask me, I feel he's one of those overlooked and underrated players just because not a, people, not a lot of people really understood how good he was considering he came from the Orlando Magic and the Magic have been in a similar situation like the Bulls where they've been rebuilding for the last couple of years. And unless you live in the Orlando area or Orlando gets like a nationally televised game, fans don't get a chance to see how good Vucevic is. And now that he's in a big market like Chicago, now that he's on a team that seems to be on the rise and probably is going to be a player for some of the bigger free agents this upcoming summer, I expect the Bulls to get more nationally televised games next year, which will allow basketball fans around the country to see how good of a player Vucevic is. Because in my opinion, he's probably one of the top 10 players in the league when you look at all the things he can do. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly um, a really great player, an overlooked player, you know, mostly because, I mean, all of his career or the the vast majority of his career was spent playing in Orlando in the – you know, post Dwight Howard years, he was actually brought to Orlando in the big blockbuster multi-team trade that that sent uh, Dwight to L.A. to play for the Lakers and brought Vucevic from the Sixers to the Magic. And uh, yeah, had some great years there, just playing with you know, kind of a subpar team for the most part, um, and a team that didn't get a lot of national attention as compared to the magic of the late 2000s, early 2010s um, with Dwight Howard and, and Jameer Nelson and Hito Turgoglu and, and um, Richard Lewis and those guys when they were, you know, NBA finals contenders. And um, Vucevic was just, you know, the, the leader of the pack in Orlando in the post-Howard years and just never got the attention he deserved. And uh, maybe he'll finally get it now that he's with the Bulls. Because, um, yeah, I mean, the Bulls are obviously in a major market, um, have a passionate fan base. And, you know, I think the NBA is certainly better when the Bulls are great or the Bulls are good, at least. And, um, yeah, I'm sure they can expect to get more nationally televised games and be a, um, a potential, you know, hot spot for free agents. Um, I mean, they, you know, they've still uh, overperformed this year. They've outperformed. They've exceeded expectations this year. And I think the future is certainly bright. And, you know, this is a team that really hasn't been particularly great, hasn't been, you know, a, a finals contender for about a decade now, um, or, or at least very close to it. And uh, that's, you know, a long time for a major market team like the Bulls. So, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully this is the sign of, you know, good things to come. I mean, of course, this year there is this, you know, anything they do in terms of postseason play will be a bonus, really, because they obviously weren't expected to be all that great in this this kind of um, rebuilding year, first year under Billy Donovan. Um, but yeah, I mean, next year expectations should probably be pretty high, especially considering 
you know, they're likely to make a splash in the offseason um, in free agency or via trade or or something to that effect. But, yeah, I mean, the, they're going to be looked at as being um, legitimate contenders in the East next season, I think. And while the Bulls are still battling for their playoff spot, you have the Chicago Blackhawks who are battling for a playoff spot in their own right. But things have gotten very interesting in the Central Division as of late, especially when you look at the Blackhawks and where things sit, where even a couple weeks ago when we were on air, they were still sitting at that fourth and final spot in the Central and holding on. But now they've fallen not only to fifth place, but now they're actually in sixth place in the Central Division as both Nashville and Dallas have passed up Chicago. Uh, you got to give Dallas a ton of credit for what they've done, especially when you look at them and all the COVID issues they had at the beginning of the season, and now they're just coming off of a homestand where they went 6-1 and one on their most recent homestand and picked up 12 out of a possible 14 points, which is a big reason as to why they've passed Chicago and a big reason as to why Dallas is in the position they're in. The Blackhawks got two, two much-needed points last night against Nashville, but they went into overtime, so Nashville still got a point out of it, so it really didn't help them in terms of standings much. But with just a handful of games left, I believe Chicago's got eight or nine games left of the season. They're three points behind Nashville for that final playoff spot. They're one point behind Dallas to get in the fifth place. And Dallas and Nashville still have to play each other this year. Dallas has a lot of tough games coming up. Chicago has a lot of tough games coming up. Even though Chicago is on the outside looking in right now, this is a three-team race that's going to go down to the final game of the regular season because not only do these three teams play each other down the stretch, but each team has their fair share of fair share of challenging games over the final three weeks, and this is going to be a race that goes until that final game. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, going to be exciting. Going to have some late-season drama. And so, yeah, we have two playoff pushes. They're going to come down to the wire in Chicago with both the Bulls and the Blackhawks, it seems. And, yeah, I mean, the Blackhawks have done a good job of, of hanging in there and staying in the fight and, you know, b bouncing back after losses with big wins and or clutch wins and um, just staying in the thick of things. So, you know, I mean, it's sort of like the Bulls. If, if they're able to get to the postseason, anything after that will just be a bonus because um, obviously they will have they will have exceeded expectations. So, should they get to the playoffs with this uh, young team and this this rebuilding year? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe the end of the regular season is right around the corner. Series the season finale for the Blackhawks. May 10th, um, and yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, going to have to continue to, to get wins and um, and stay relevant in this playoff push, and yeah, it might come down to a the nitty-gritty and a, a points battle in the standings to just see who gets in. And yeah, the, while the regular season ends May 10th, you had the NHL meeting yesterday that said they want to start next season on October 12th which still has to be approved by the NHL Players Association. But that October 12th date is significant because typically the NHL season starts right around October 5th, that first week in October. So their plan is to have the regular season start on time next year. 
their plan is to have a full 82 game schedule next year. And their plan is obviously going to be to have the entire league face the entire league next year, as opposed to just playing your divisional opponents this year, which is going to be very interesting considering how a lot of these teams haven't seen each other in over a year, depending on when the last time they saw them was prior to COVID. So that's going to be another thing to kind of watch next year too, is just how these teams go against each other after not seeing each other for so long. But Sticking on the topic of them right now and having to finish a season on a positive note here, I'm at the point where the Blackhawks now where skills aside and, like, players and, like, they're producing aside, this is the part of the season where I want experience over youth, especially when you got to think that every game from here forward you have to have that playoff mindset knowing that you're basically in playoff mode right now. And I know Kevin Lankinen has been their go-to goalie for most of the season, but he has not played very well down the stretch. And you have guys like Malcolm Subban, who has been playing actually better than Lankinen down the stretch, getting more time in goal. And, yes, he gave up four goals last night, but he faced 40 shots and still stopped 36, so that's a tremendous performance. But Subban's one of those guys that has had playoff experience before, going back to his Montreal days, so – he knows how to win in big games. And at this point, and knowing that the Blackhawks need to win as many games as possible, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Chicago turned more towards Subban down the stretch, knowing that he has experience in these kind of situations. Yeah, maybe so. And we pay off. Um, and, you know, you're right. In situations like this, I mean, the experience is so key. Lincoln will have plenty of these opportunities over the course of his career, but he's still so young, um, whereas Subban has been there before. And, you know, yeah, it, it might it might be something that uh, makes a big difference is giving him more more time in net um, to, to settle in and, you know, make a splash and, um, you know, come up with some – try and come up with some clutch – Stops for this Blackhawks team is so desperate to get points uh, wherever they can and, and pull out wins wherever they can. And, um, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, that may be something that this team needs to utilize a little more is, is getting both goalies in the mix here to close out the season. And with NBA and NHL winding down in their final handful of games here, you have Major League Soccer that – got underway last weekend as all 20 well 26 of the 2017 <laughs> action last week and the Chicago Fire finally got an opportunity to play at Soldier Field in front of fans after moving back to Soldier Field from their long tenure at Toyota Park. Uh, they had a very tough matchup with the New England Revolution last weekend but they got off to a very fast start. You had Robert Barrett scoring a goal I think five minutes into the match he scored, and then roughly, I think, 15 minutes later or 10 minutes later, the Chicago Fire struck again with Lucas Stojanovic, who was on the team last year but only saw action in like two or three games last year because he tore his MCL during that MLS's back tournament and was lost for the rest of the year. Uh, the New England Revolution did battle back with Adam Busca and Gustavo Bogos late in the first half, and came very close to taking the lead in the 87th minute when they hit the crossbar. But given what we saw from the Chicago Fire last year, and I know both of us touched on it, where 
there was times last year where the Chicago Fire showed the potential to play with everybody. They just never seemed to get into that rhythm that everyone expected them to. You got to like the performance they put together against New England because typically New England is a playoff caliber team every year, especially with Bruce Arena as head coach. And for them to come out, get the draw that first game out in front of the home fans, but really dictate the tempo of that game, especially the first 60 minutes. You got to like what you saw from the fire last weekend. Yeah, I did. That was a good way to start off the season. Um, Obviously, unfortunately for the MLS, the start of its season has gotten heavily overshadowed by the um, disastrous situation in Europe with the proposed Super League and all the drama regarding that, which thankfully looks like it's dead in the water for the time being. Um, but yeah, MLS season getting underway and, um, you know, the fire picking up a point right off the bat with a quality performance. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, they're a team that can make some noise this year. You know, they really exceeded expectations after the MLS, you know, came back after the um, after they got back to action following the COVID shutdown last year and obviously came down to the wire and, and potentially making the playoffs, barely missed out on the postseason. Uh, but this year they'll want to get there. So, yeah, and I, I think they can. I think they have what it takes to get there for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they have a lot of talent on that team that's coming back. Obviously, Robert Barrich is going to be the name that most teams focus on, given his goal-scoring ability. And then losing C.J. Sapong certainly hurts because he gave them another added element last year. But Lucas Stojanovic is another one of those guys that is very similar when the fire had Nemanja Nikolic and is one of those guys that can go out there and give you 12 to 14 goals in a season. And you pair him up front with Robert Barrett, you have one of the better one-two scoring combos in MLS. The thing that's always the, the biggest problem with the Chicago Fire, and it was definitely an issue at times last year, is their back line of defense in front of Kevin Cromholm and Bobby Shuttleworth in goal is their defense was one of the youngest units in all of Major League Soccer last year, and it showed at times that their lack of experience, and it just seemed like they were very lost and very confused on a lot of set pieces and things like that that led to a lot of easy goals and a lot of late-game breakdowns, which did cost Chicago a lot of points last year and ultimately kept them out of the playoffs. Even if Chicago does improve in every facet, this team still is only going to go as far as that defensive unit takes them. And if these younger players get the experience and kind of mature at the level that uh, Raphael Wiki expects them to this year, Chicago's going to be one of those teams that I think is going to be a surprise team in the Eastern Conference that's going to possibly be one of those teams that contends for a top four seed and could make a nice run in the postseason. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I agree a hundred percent. They certainly have what it takes. You know, I, I think that you know, the experience they got in, in the playoff push late last season really probably prepared them. Uh, much better for this year and, and energize them heading to want to, you know, take that leap and get back to the postseason. And, um, yeah, I think they certainly are talented enough, enough to do so. And last topic of the day we're going to talk about is football. And we'll start with 
college football for maybe a minute or two here as the FCF playoffs are set to get underway this weekend as the round of 16 begins. Uh, We do have an Illinois team that is in the FCS playoffs as Southern Illinois has actually qualified for the FCS playoffs. I cannot remember who they are playing off the top of my head, but I do know that Southern Illinois has qualified for the playoffs, which is very good, obviously, for college football fans in the state of Illinois when you look at not obviously having foot college football since Northwestern Bowl game and all that, but are you going to be paying attention to the FCS playoffs this weekend at all, or is this kind of one of those things where since it's really not your typical college football season doesn't really draw interest, and I was watching a lot of the earlier games, especially with um, – Jackson State University and Deion Sanders, and then I kind of went away from watching it for a little bit. But with the FCS playoffs starting, I'm definitely going to watch it again just because I think the FBS should honestly get rid of the whole college football playoff format that they have right now. And I think they should adopt the FCS system and make it a 16-team playoff because this is realistically the only way where you can decide – or not really decide, but this is realistically the only way for you to see for yourself who the best team in college football is. And I think the FBS should definitely adopt this system long-term. Yeah. I mean, we both agree that there should obviously be playoff expansion in the FBS. And I think we talked about this before the FCS playoffs, the FCS postseason, one of the more underrated sporting events i mean it's a whole lot of fun um really exciting and you know obviously this year it's certainly not the same that's taking place in the spring um instead of the you know late fall when it usually early winter when it usually takes place uh but yeah it's it's good that they're having it and southern illinois is at weber state this weekend um on Saturday, so they'll look to pull off the upset in that one. So, yeah, congratulations to them on getting to the postseason and having a chance to play for a national championship. But, yeah, I'll certainly be paying attention to it. It's it's a, it's a lot of fun and um, always a lot of fun. And, you know, it's – it's uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's like a, about to be a real whirlwind time for college sports because you have a lot of the – um, fall championships that are about to take place because obviously fall sports, um, there were no NCAA championships for fall sports normally, you know, in the fall when they normally take place. Obviously, the college football playoff is outside the realm of, you know, being considered an, an NCAA run championship. Um, you know, thankfully, because <laughs> that's what helped it take place as it normally does. But, um, yeah, so we're having all these fall, you know, uh, tournaments taking place now with obviously spring sports going on is scheduled and, and fresh off a lot of the winter championships. So, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, best of luck to Southern Illinois this weekend. Yeah, and this is one of those times where – I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've, I'm a big college football fan and I love watching college football, but 
when you have the fall season of college football, FCS doesn't get a lot of publicity just because the FBS is the primary football subdivision and they're going to get 95 to 100% of the coverage during the fall. And up until the playoffs actually start, that's when the FCS kind of starts getting recognized. I've kind of been on the fence as to whether the FCS should permanently move to the spring. And the only reason why I say that is we've seen how the XFL has done in the spring and we've seen how the AAF has done in the spring in terms of television viewership and things like that. The Canadian Football League typically begins in in late April, early May, and runs basically all summer. And with them being contracted through ESPN also, you have the viewership levels on that have steadily grown over recent years. But I think the FCS has a real opportunity here to basically control the spring market in terms of football, where if they wanted to come out and say, well, we want to play football, but we want to play football in the spring, I think there's a way that they could do it. Not only would they get, I think, more money for an ESPN deal because they're going to be the only football outlet that takes place during the spring, but they know they're going to get viewership because fans do love to watch football, no matter if it's the XFL, the AAF, NCAA, high school or professional. Football tends to be the most watched professional sport in, in America. So I think they have a real opportunity to control a market that has never really been controllable before just because they've always been the little brother to the FBS. And I think moving to the spring permanently could be something that is actually game changing for them. Yeah, I mean, but we have to wonder if the NCAA is really interested in doing that, which I doubt they are. Um, they probably just prefer all the f- all football take place around the same time and probably aren't all that concerned with, with TV, any TV revenue they might be able to, to squeeze out of FCS viewership. Um, yeah, I mean, if you know, if, if this was like a situation where the FCS was – you know, sort of like a minor, minor league, if you will, or, or a league trying to compete with with FBS. Sure, it would. I think it probably would behoove behoove it to um, play in the spring. Uh, but you know, I think it'll probably stay in the fall um, for the long term, and you know, to match up with the other um, college football schedules and and. Um, you know, you got to factor in like the draft and the NFL schedule and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it could certainly draw more attention in the spring. I mean, although I think you alluded to the fact that it was fun at first and then once March rolled around and everything was all about college basketball, then all of a sudden it took a back seat. So um. Yeah, it'll be cool to see this sporting event take place. You know, the the playoffs that is take place. You know, at a unique time. Um, won't quite be the same as when it's, you know, late fall and it's it's football weather and you're seeing these these uh, playoff games take place on a team's home field, which is so cool and not something we get to see really in in uh, FBS unless you consider maybe some of the lower tier um, conference championships that take place at a team's home stadium. But, um, yeah, it's a cool sporting event, and, you know, uh, I'm sure it will be moved back to the fall. Um, 
you know, this fall. And just hopefully a lot of teams won't suffer from that. I mean, you know, I haven't looked too closely into that, but that was a concern that teams that um, coaches I know have had with ha- having a fall season and or a spring season. And part of why the FBS didn't make that move is, you know, injuries in the spring and what have you could can roll over into the fall and it could cost players, you know, not just one season, but two. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's at least they're getting a championship in, they're going to crown a, an FCS championship, an FCS champion that is, um, you know, obviously it's a shame that D2, D3, um, you know, fall sports canceled this year this particular athletic year, but hopefully things will be returning, returning to normal and call in fall sports uh, by the time the fall rolls around. Yeah. I might have a more vesting interest in it than most people do just because between North Dakota, North Dakota state and South Dakota state, there's 17 kids from the high school right down the road from where I live that play on those three teams. Wow. So- there's a lot of community ties between yeah. where I live and those three teams that are playing this week. And so I know around around the town that I live, and there's going to be a lot more viewership just because we all have like the players we know from our community that are going to be at least playing this weekend and most likely into next weekend also. That's awesome. That's cool to hear. Best of luck to them. And then the last topic, obviously, is the Chicago Bears, which we – haven't really talked too much about them lately just because we're kind of on that downtime between the end of the free agent period and the NFL draft period as the draft is now officially seven days away from tonight. Uh, round one is scheduled for next Thursday with rounds two and three on Friday and then fourth through seven next Saturday. Uh, we still hear there's some rumors rolling around about the Bears are open to trying to figure out a way to trade up so they can get one of these top five, top six quarterbacks that are in this class. And both you and I have been kind of on the fence about it. We both think they should either stay at number 20 or even possibly trade back to like 25 to 30 range and acquire more picks. But now we've also heard that the Miami Dolphins are willing to part ways with the number six selection and just kind of, not necessarily get out of the first round, but part with that number six pick and get another additional first round pick this year and probably a couple more picks either next year or even during the draft this year. If Miami is serious about trading out of that number six pick, if you're Ryan Pace, do you pick up that phone and basically ask what it's going to take to get that number six pick. If you can get that number six pick, do you just go and make the pick and get Trey Lance or do you have somebody else in mind? Yeah. I mean, you might as well, you might as well do that and move up and, and, you know, and if the price is right, go ahead and maybe draft a quarterback of the future. Um, You know, obviously we talked a good bit about their draft position. i I don't mind where it is. I mean, I think it's better to just stay for the Bears to just stay where they are as opposed to get rid of too much and moving up. But, you know, if the price is right and they're able to move up into the top 10, um, I think that'd certainly be a worthwhile opportunity, especially if it's as high as six and they can uh, maybe get the quarterback of the future. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be. 
worthwhile. It just depends on what what all is is at stake. Um, you know, what all is on the table that is for acquiring that that pick. Uh, you know, this is an important draft for the Bears. I mean, they have a lot of areas on the roster they have to look to build to build up to bolster um, offensive line, especially. Also, the secondary could look to get younger there. Um, obviously, they're going to have to replace Kyle Fuller, uh, the services of Kyle Fuller, who's now a Denver Bronco. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a really important draft. But if they are able to to move up and potentially get that quarterback of the future that Ryan Pace maybe once uh, so desperately to get out of this draft, then um, uh, I, I wouldn't blame him for jumping at that opportunity. And the only reason why I bring this up is there was a report out yesterday, and I can't remember where I saw it, but there's a report out there yesterday that said the Vikings are very coveted on Trey Lance, mainly because the guy is a – the kid is a Minnesota native. He's from Marshall, Minnesota. He went to college roughly four and a half hours away from Minneapolis in North Dakota, obviously. And Minnesota has a lot of the assets that Miami's looking for in terms of a trade partner if they get if they trade out of number six. Like Minnesota has the most picks of anybody in the draft this year. I think they have eleven picks. So obviously Miami's gonna acquire some of those picks. They're going to maybe get a pick or two for next year, which Minnesota acquired picks for next year with the trades they made last year. And that's the thing that Chicago has to take into consideration too is Minnesota has Kirk Cousins as their quarterback and the Bears have Andy Dalton. Kirk Cousins has two years left on his contract, but realistically he has one year left on his contract because he's scheduled to make $42 million next year and there's no way the Vikings are going to pay him next year $42 million. So they're pretty much in the same position you're in where – you're going with Andy Dalton for this year and then hoping to either find the quarterback of the future next year or hopefully getting the quarterback of the future this year. Well, if it comes down to it where it's between Minnesota and Chicago trading for that sixth pick, if I'm a Bears fan, you better hope that you can get that sixth pick over Minnesota because if Minnesota finds a way to get that pick and they go and make the Trey Lance draft, which a lot of people are expecting him to make if they can get into the top ten, not only do you have to compete with Aaron Rodgers for another couple of years, but now you have to worry about Lance. And Minnesota's got Delvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, and a boatload of younger weapons on offense where in one move they could go from a middle-of-the-road NFC team that's kind of like a borderline playoff contender to an NFC, to an NFC favor with just one move. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that um, yeah they're capable of pulling off, and you know the the talent on that roster is still there. Obviously, I mean they have so much veteran talent, um, and yeah, it is like they're sort of on the cusp of of becoming you know a legitimate Super Bowl contender and arguably becoming the the cream of the crop in the. Um, in the NFC North. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot at stake right now. And, um, with the draft coming up and, you know, there's this bears team, um, 
has a pretty high ceiling moving forward. And there's just, you know, that they've arguably underperformed in these past few years and will be looking to get back to um, playing to their talent, playing up to their talent, playing to their strengths this year. Exactly. And that's why I think Chicago needs to very strongly consider their position they're in right now. Do they basically say we need to go all in for a quarterback at this point and set ourselves up for the future? Or are we going to hold tight with what we have, fill the other holes on this roster now and try to win with what we got and then worry about it next year? Because Matt Nagy is coaching for his job this upcoming season. Ryan Pace is going to be basically building a team as if he's basically, I can't really say coaching, but he's going to be basically building a team as if his job is on the line because, frank, frankly, both of their jobs should be on the line this year. When you look at the position they were in three years ago and the position they're in now where anything less than a playoff berth next year is going to result in one, if not both of them, getting fired. And if you ask me, anything less than 10 or 11 wins next year might be enough to get Matt Nagy fired, especially when you look at the talent on the roster. Yeah, definitely. Expectations are going to be high and yeah, they're going to have to have a legitimately good season. I think for both pace and Nagy to keep their jobs. So um, a lot at stake this, this coming season. That's all the time Cole and I have for you today. Uh, Cole, is there anything you want to add before taking off? Yeah, I mean, just wanted to touch on Illinois basketball. Some updates there. Obviously, Kofi Coburn going to test the NBA draft waters again, um, he, like he did last year. But um, so far, he hasn't hired an agent. There's a chance he'll go undrafted. Uh, and if he doesn't hire an agent, he'll be able to, to come back at that point. Um, so, you know, good luck, best of luck to him there. But obviously that would uh, really be huge to have him back for another season. But on the other hand, Trent Frazier, the Illinois guard, who's, who it seemed like he was part set on, on making the leap to, leap to the NBA, he decided to come back to the uh, fighting a line eye, I guess, after getting some advice from certain people or just sort of, uh, recognizing that you know he might it might behoove him to play another season of college basketball, so he'll be back in the fray, and maybe Coburn will as well. Uh, obviously, we know Desumu will be taking the leap and will be a lottery pick, probably a top five pick in the draft, and um, you know so understandably he is he has already decided to make that leap and he will not be back with Illinois, but yeah, if they're able to get back both Frazier and Coburn, which is still a possibility. Um, that would be huge at, at keeping this Illinois team as being competitive uh, next season. And as for Northwestern, they had um, sort of the, the flip side of things. Things aren't looking so positive for them necessarily heading into next season. I mean, you know, they can maybe expect to have a better season than they did this year, but uh, Miller Cop, one of their best players, heading to um, heading a state over and going to uh, Indiana to play for the new look Hoosiers under 
um, first-year head coach Mike Woodson. I, I say new look Hoosiers, but they actually have a lot of key players coming back. But yeah, Miller Cop heading out of Northwestern and and to Indiana and uh, Big Ten rivals. So another Big Ten team. So um, yeah, best of luck to Chris Collins next season. But you know, it's probably going to take a good season for him to hang on to his job. You can imagine. And, um, Northwestern obviously coming off a tough season this year, but, um, yeah, certainly, certainly, uh, a tale of two different Illinois basketball teams, but, you know, as for the Illini, I think a lot will, will rest on whether or not Coburn comes back in terms of how good they'll be next season. And I'll stick with college basketball for one minute here and, uh, go back to, um, Porter Porter Moser for a minute here and some of the players that he's actually yeah added in the transfer window. I mean he picked up um Jordan Goldwire from Duke University, right. uh graduate transfer and um Jordan Goldwire was always viewed as not necessarily an elite scorer, but when he looked at how he played in high school, he was one of those players that could probably give you ten to twelve points per game and give you more of like a eight or nine assist type of things, but he's also one of the best on-ball defenders in college basketball in terms of guards, and we've seen what Moser's defense was at Loyola, so getting a guy that loves to play defense is certainly going to help Moser in that aspect. He also got Eastern Washington transfer Tanner Groves, who obviously Eastern Washington comes from a lot of those smaller conferences where you don't get much viewership on him but Tanner Groves is a legitimate scorer he's six foot nine he can score 20 points a game he's one of those stretch forwards that can also get inside and knock down the three so not only is Moser probably going to be bringing in a good recruiting class in Oklahoma but he's already picked up two very quality players on the transfer market and he's already got Oklahoma off and running in his tenure yeah absolutely I mean he's a coach that you know, I think a lot of players really want to play for. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, Illinois goes from – or, excuse me, Oklahoma goes from a, a Hall of Fame coach and and um, Lon Kruger, a Hall of Fame caliber coach at least, and Lon Kruger. And, I mean, it's, it's arguably an upgrade just because, you know, Porter Moser's like the hottest young name on the coaching – in the coaching market. And it seems like a lot of players are eager to play for him after seeing what he's able to accomplish at Loyola. So that's that's cool to see. And um, yeah, I mean, maybe Illinois' basketball team will become a powerhouse and and over the course of the next handful of years, we'll have to see. And uh, oh, and also, you know, Nick Jogo. I think I mentioned this in a recent episode, but. Um, the veteran for Notre Dame, the veteran guard for Notre Dame, decided to transfer out for his final season and went to Northeastern. So he's going to try to make an impact there. But um, just like Northwestern, uh, we might see kind of a make-or-break year for Notre Dame basketball next season, this coming season. Um, you know, Mike Bray's been there a long time. Uh, you know, we'll have to see if, if he has another – if there's another disappointing season, what that'll mean for his job status. Agreed. Uh, Cole and I will be back next week. Hopefully we can go on our normal day Wednesday as technology was not being friendly to us yesterday. But Cole, have a great rest of your week. Have a good weekend, and we'll talk next week.
All right, man. Thanks. You too. Talk to you soon.